Turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we'll read verses 11, 12, and 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And welcome to the word of prayer. <coughs> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come here today, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity of living in a country where we can come here free of persecution. I pray, Lord, that you just um, help me um, calm my nerves and that you would just uh, speak through me, Lord. I pray that you would just um, uh, that you would just uh, work in the hearts and minds of us all, Lord. That um, they would be open to what we learn and that we would be able to able to apply it to our lives, Lord. I pray that you just um, forgive me if I say anything that's wrong. I pray that those things would be forgotten and only your truth would remain, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. We've been looking through Titus in chapter 2 and last time we looked at verse 11 and we saw that there was two great truths about our salvation. Firstly, that salvation is by grace and secondly, that salvation is open to everyone. And Paul now continues on with this idea and we now move on to the effects of salvation. What happens at salvation or what should happen at salvation and thereafter? Because there is, a diff there is an effect, there is something that happens or should, there should be a difference. And what we find in verse 12 is that there is a change in our conduct. There should be a change in how we conduct ourselves from day to day. The person that was lost and unsaved behaves one way and the person who is saved acts a different way. And Paul has just been addressing, you see, in, in the rest, in the start of chapter 2, the way that different groups of people should conduct themselves. He's addressed the aged men and the aged women and the young women and the young men. And now he's basically telling us why we are to conduct ourselves the way he's just told them. You see, in verse 11, tells us that the grace of God bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us. See, it follows on. It is the grace of God that teaches us. Now, the word teaching here means to educate or instruct. But in the Greek, this word teaching is also, it is especially used for teaching children. It's used when um, someone would be discussing a teacher who instructs young children. And it's a humbling thing to think about, about it, but we are children. We are all children. We still have much to learn. You know, this is not a bad thing that we're children. As I said, it's humbling. You know, children should be humble. They should respect the authority over them and be willing to learn. They should be willing to accept the instruction 
of their peers. And so, as children, let us now begin to look at verse 12 and see what the grace of God teaches us. What we find in verse 12 is that the grace of God teaches us two lessons. The grace of God teaches us two lessons. Now, the first lesson is a lesson of denying worldliness. First lesson is denying worldliness. And this is very important. It is very important as children that we deny worldliness because it is a way that we prepare ourselves to grow. It is a way that we put aside things and make room to grow. So the word, word denying means to disclaim, disown, or renounce, decline, and refuse. We are to disown the world. We are to renounce any part of it. Decline to go along with it. Refuse any influence over us. Now we need to deny worldliness. We not to have any part of it. And some people convince themselves that it is okay to have just a small part. There's nothing wrong with it. And some people think that it doesn't hurt. But the Bible clearly teaches us in 1 Thessalonians that this is not the case. Turn with me there. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. Looking in verse 22. Abstain from the appearance of evil. The Bible clearly marks out for us that we are to abstain from the appearance of evil, from all appearance. We aren't to think that one thing is better than another. If it is evil, stay away from it. If it appears to be evil, stay away from it. If there's any doubt, don't go there. We ought to deny worldliness. And Paul goes on to give us two descriptions of worldliness. Firstly, he gives us the description of ungodliness teaching us that denying ungodliness. Now, the word ungodliness means impiety, dishonesty, and wickedness. And these are characteristics that no saved person should have. We shouldn't conduct ourselves dishonestly. We should not conduct ourselves wickedly. Now, this carries with the idea of being irreverent to God, not showing him the proper respect. And we need to endeavour that we to show God the proper respect. You know, this is something that Ananias and Sapphira failed in. Turn with me to Acts in chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Looking at the first four verses. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a portion and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in, the, in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. They failed to give God the proper respect. They lied to him. They were dishonest and wicked. And this is something that Christians ought not to do. 
We must ensure that we put aside ungodliness. You know, if we came before somebody, somebody important, say the Queen of England, we would show her respect. We would make sure that we dress nicely. We would make sure that we spoke correctly. We would follow every protocol that they laid down for us because we would show her respect. But the truth of the matter is, we know nothing about, we, know, we don't know the Queen. We know of the Queen, but we do not have a personal relationship with the Queen. The respect that we give her is merely to her position. How sad is it though that we fail to give the proper respect to God, a person, a being that we have a relationship with, a personal relationship with, a being that is above all earthly thrones. You know, Revelations 19.16 says that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is above everyone. We fail to give him the proper respect. Why do we fail to give him the proper respect? He is our friend, our father, our saviour. If we are saved, we ought to deny ungodliness. We ought not to give it any place in our lives. The second description of worldliness that Paul gives us is worldly teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Worldly lusts carry with it the idea of earnest desires which are accommodating and adapted to the world's point of view. Now, we should not follow the example that the world leads. We should not think it is acceptable to live like the world, even slightly. Remember, we aren't to have any part, not even a small part. Now, when people look at us, they should not look at our lives and see the world. They should look at our lives and see God. We shouldn't mimic the world. Our desires shouldn't be what the world desires. Turn with me to Romans in chapter 12. Romans in chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are not to be, we are not to be conformed to this world. We are not to mimic the world's image. We are to mimic the Lord's image. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 tells us to love not the world, neither the things of the world. You know, the world tries to convince us to love it. The world tries to convince us that we should live like it, to follow its example. It tries to entice us to accept its point of view. because it wants justification for it. If we live like the world, in a sense, we are justifying how the world behaves. We are not condemning its actions, but rather we are living with them. We are accepting them and encouraging them. 
This is why it is important that we deny worldly lusts. We shouldn't live like the world. And when people look at us, they shouldn't see the world. Because that would encourage them to live like the world. Oh, it is important for us to deny the world. It is important for us to deny worldliness. And this then leads us into the second lesson that the grace of God teaches us. And the second lesson is filling the void left. See, it is, no, it is of no use if we or clear out worldliness unless there is something to replace it with. There is no point getting rid of all the bad things if we're not going to replace them with good things. See, if we remove worldliness without filling what is the void that is left, worldliness will return. Now, I go out to national parks and I clear out weeds, pull out trees and I cut down, cut down things that shouldn't belong there. But all my efforts would be useless unless there was something to take the place. See, what happens is if I cut down all the weeds, I remove them all and I don't put something there to replace them, all the seed that, is, that weed has left will grow. But if I plant another tree there, that tree will take up all the nutrients. It won't allow the seeds to, to grow. That tree will block out the sun, denying the seeds any of the sunlight that it needs to survive. And this is the same in our lives. If we take out all the weeds, we uproot them all. We uproot the worldliness. We need to place something there that will take up the time left so that worldliness doesn't have an opportunity to return. And so Paul then moves on to give us three principles to live by, to fill that void. These three principles are important for us. When we go to do something, they should have these three principles applied. The first principle is soberly. We should live soberly. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. The word soberly means temperate or serious, respectable. It carries with it the idea of self-control. And it is important for Christians to have self-control. Now this word has been seen time and time again in Titus. It would appear that the Croatians had a problem with it. But that should not be the case with us. Paul has addressed the bishops to be sober. He told the young, or the aged men and the aged women to be sober, to encourage the young women and the young men to be sober. It is clearly something that every person has. You know, we should be self-controlled. There are reasons for this. Turn with me to 1 Peter in chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Peter in chapter 5. 
looking at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy. The enemy likes to pick off the weaklings. Those who aren't paying attention. Those who aren't self-controlled. We make ourselves easy targets. If we do not control ourselves, then we will put ourselves in positions to be tempted and fall. Now, if we're going to fill the void left, we ought to fill it with things that we can control. Things that aren't going to control us or overwhelm us. Now, when we when I take it out of a weed, I replace it with something that can be controlled because otherwise it may grow and overrun everything else. It may kill all of the good things as well. Now, control is important. The world lacks control. It prefers chaos. But God is a God of order. And we ought to mimic that. We ought to be Christians who are orderly and controlled. We ought to be in control of our lives, our desires, and our actions. And this will help us to achieve the the next two principles. The second one being that we should live righteously. That we should live righteously. The word righteously means to be just, or honest, or upright. As we deny unrighteous things, we need to replace them with righteous things. A saved person should conduct themselves justly and honestly. There should be no deceit there. There should be no dishonesty. That's the way the world behaves. The world wants us to behave deceitfully because that would mar the name of God. See, when we misbehave, when we do not act controlled, and when we begin to act unrighteously, people will not point at us so much as they would point at God. So we ought to live righteously. Turn with me to Romans in chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We shouldn't yield ourselves to the sin. We shouldn't conduct ourselves wickedly or unrighteously. We should make sure that when we do things, we do them for God, and we do them righteously. As I said, this is aided by self-control. If we lack self-control, then we will struggle to behave righteously. And when we take away worldliness, we should replace it with righteousness. We should replace it with things that are righteous. The third principle that we find 
in this lesson is that we should live godly. That we should live godly. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The word godly means piety or holy. And as saved people, we ought to strive to be Christ-like. We ought to mimic his example. Now, I know that we will never be perfect. I know that we will fail. But remember, it is the grace of God that teaches us these, these lessons. It is God's grace that is trying to educate us. And as we found out in my last message, well, we are saved by grace and we are, our salvation is maintained by that grace. But that does, that does not give us an excuse not to try. And we ought to seek to be Christ-like. We ought to do those things which Christ would do and avoid those things that Christ would not do. We ought to be holy. We are commanded to be holy. Turn with me to 1 Peter in chapter 1. First Peter in chapter 1, looking at verses 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of sanctions, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We are commanded to be holy. And this isn't a choice. We aren't to think that, oh, I'll do it when I want to do it. No, through self-control we ought to keep ourselves behaving wholly. Now we need to ask ourselves the question, does God approve of what I, what I am doing? Would Christ join me in this action? You know, it is important for us to behave in a God, that we all live godly. It is important for us to do things that are godly. And these three principles are important for us to remember. As we remove worldliness, as ungodliness and worldly lusts are taken away from our, out of our lives, we need to replace it with things that match these three principles so we can live soberly, righteously and godly. Now in this present world there are many distractions and temptations. If we are going to properly serve God, we need to strive to fill the void left by living with these principles. There is coming a day when school will be out. There is coming a day when we will meet our master face to face. Our graduation day. Where we will have to prove or where we will see how well we applied these two lessons to our lives. There is coming a day when we will hear or where we will want to hear well done, my good and faithful servant. But we'll learn about that next time. <laughs> Let's close in a word of prayer.
Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day that you've um, given to us, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord. Lord, I thank you for just calming my nerves and um, helping me through this message, Lord, and giving me the wisdom and understanding. I pray, Lord, that you would just um, help us all to learn these two lessons and apply them to our lives, that we would begin to remove worldliness and that we would begin to live our lives soberly, righteously and godly, Lord. Lord, I pray that you just help us to be workmen, not ashamed, but, and Lord, and you would just um, give us your grace, Lord, and help us to live like Christ-like lives. In Jesus' name, amen.